Welcome to the second installment in this series, Servant Savior, Son of God. Um, I don't, don't know if, you've, if many of you have seen this um, series, Undercover Boss, you know, where you have um, the boss goes, goes to ground you know, to make necessary and enduring change in his own um, organization. In those series, there's often the crisis situation, and it's often when the, um, the boss faces challenge, and challenge from his own within the organization. And you often wonder, you're left wondering, how, how, how is this going to get resolved? Will he pull rank on the staff and let them know, yeah, this is who runs things around here? Or will the old hands try to show who's in charge here? I mean, we've been doing this thing before you even came along. I mean probably got a silver spoon in your mouth and know nothing about this business. can teach you everything about it. But um, question you often are left wondering is, is this going to prove costly if one fails to recognize or even receive the boss when it's discovered or even when it's not known that this is the boss who runs things around here. Um, so and will it provide opportunity to receive and welcome the changes that the real boss introduces to bring new life to the business? Well, as we come to Mark chapter 2, we see that while Jesus' fame, Jesus' fame grows, Israel's religious leaders begin to oppose him, sort of like the undercover boss, you know, and... Um, this section presents five <coughs> challenges that Jesus faces or experiences to his authority, but it gives us opportunity to see really five reasons, five reasons to receive the servant savior when he comes to ground to bring change and redemption into our lives. I mean, we'll see these challenges as I just kind of give us an overhead or outline of how they're laid out in the text. In um, verses 1 to 12, we see religious leaders um, question Jesus' divine identity and his authority to forgive and heal sin on earth. Uh, we see also the scorn for Jesus' choice to call Levi and other sinners to salvation in verses 13 to 17 of, of, Matt, of Mark chapter 2. And in the next couple, next four verse, next five verses, we see again religious leaders challenging Jesus for celebrating the new kingdom with the arrival of the groom of Israel when his disciples do not join in the traditional fasts. And in verses 23 to 28, they confront the Lord of the Sabbath for allowing his disciples to be fed due to their extreme, their own extreme teaching on the Sabbath. The fifth challenge sought to accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath rules by healing a man on the Sabbath. This is seen in Mark chapter, chapter 3 and verses 1 to 6. I'll probably spend more time on the most pertinent of them, um, which is the first one, but let the others serve to demonstrate Five reasons to receive the servant savior. 
So let's quickly read the text of our passage, and um, then we go into the um, the reasons as displayed in the text for today. We're reading from Mark chapter two and verse chapter one. Mark chapter two, verse one to chapter three and verse six. <clears throat> I wonder why is he looking over there? I'm watching the screen as a monitor there. I'm just trying to see, okay, what does he look like? <laughs> Let's read the text. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, it's a long section, so let's, um, I'm going to just whiz right through it. I'm reading the New Living Translation. When Jesus, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door, while he was preaching God's word to them. Uh, while he was preaching God's word to them, four men ca- arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or stand up and stand up, pick up your mat and walk. So I'll prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through, through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Once, when Jesus' disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, Some people came to Jesus and asked, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the the Pharisees do? Do wedding guests fast? Jesus replied, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Besides, who would put 
who would patch old clothing with new cloth, for the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would, be, would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. Verse 23 now. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over, over the Sabbath. In chapter 3, verse 1, Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to the critics, to his critics, and asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is this, day, is this a day to save life or to destroy it? Well, they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At once, the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Let's pray before we proceed. Father, thank you for indeed sending the Savior, the servant Savior, the Son of Man, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, indeed to come and show the way, indeed to come and redeem, indeed to come and give us rest, indeed to come and receive us into your fellowship and indeed to come and restore us to heal and indeed set us at liberty in him lord thank you for these things and i pray that is just manifest and ever um so apparent even in your word from your word this afternoon as we pray in jesus name amen so just before we go into the, uh, the, the, the reasons, the five reasons to receive the servant savior. And um, there's just a bit of context we need to, to think about. I mean, Pastor Ephraim did um, last week, as he introduced this, the series, tell us a bit, tell us a lot about the, the, the context into which uh, John came heralding and announcing the coming of the Savior, one greater than him, you see. 
And at the end of chapter 1, we see Jesus' popularity is grown amongst the people in Galilee. So much so that now, in this account, as, you, as we read through it, you see the same pattern again of Mark just giving accounts of different cutaways. I remember hearing that, uh, learning that term from Shabazz, you know. We talk about the, the, the scene of the film and then cut away to another scene and, you know, there are five diff different cutaways here. And, and in, this, in this one, he starts with a cutaway and there's Jesus in Capernaum, the place where he was staying, probably Peter's house. But he says that there was, there were, the, the, the house was, was so packed with visitors that there wasn't even room and with this popularity, the scribes and Pharisees begin challenging his authority. Look at that contrast. While, I mean, why would Jesus' growing ministry be an issue? These are God's people. After all, they're Jews too, like Jesus, right? It should all be like Christmas, peace on earth, and to those with whom God is pleased. <laughs> but, not if Jesus enters a scene that the scribes and Pharisees have dominated for years. Possibly even as far back as the, 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 since the years of the years since Israel's surviving exiles returned from captivity. You may remember us at the end of Nehemiah reading about a, a group of people who took a vow. They committed themselves in Nehemiah chapter 10 and verse 38 not to neglect the house of God. Uh, themselves, their wives, their children, you know, they were going to give the tithe. They were not going to marry their daughters to foreigners. They were going to keep the Sabbath and so on. I mean, you can read this up in uh, Nehemiah chapter 9 verses, uh, the, the last verse in chapter 9 and then all of chapter 10. But add to that now, they've committed themselves to, you know, not forsake the household, the house of God. But then add to that now, external measures practiced to increasing degrees by this small group of people to keep themselves from things that they count as corrupting their religious and moral purity. So those things took them further and further away from the truth and the essence of the commandments of God. That, in a nutshell, is just a description of, if you like, a genesis and up to present time, in Jesus' time of the Pharisees. They had the law, they had the commandments, they had the prophets, but then they would give commentary on what the law is saying, what the commandments mean. And where they had flexibility was to, okay, uh, the, the law says, for example, talking about tithing. In order not to break the commandment of God with regards to tithing, check this. You come to my house for dinner or I come to your house for dinner. We're Pharisees. Or I come to your house for dinner and I'm looking at the food on the table. And I'm thinking before I have a bite whether you have tithed of the produce of your farm so that I don't eat what has not been tithed in order not to defile myself. That's the kinds of extremes that these guys had gone far away, removed from 
the commandments of God. But you see, here's Jesus coming on the scene that these guys have dominated for a while. They, their opinion is counted as very important in Israel's religious climate. But anyone paying attention to what God is, was doing, after the introduction we saw last week, with John coming on the scene and preaching a baptism of repentance, would sense that there is change in the religious air. And these leaders are not particularly, particularly receptive to that. But would they be doing themselves any good? Would we be doing ourselves any good um, for the kind of change that was coming now, that we've read about, that things that we see Jesus begin to do as highlighted by Mark in chapter 2? So as we come to the first challenge, it's apparent they're watching Jesus closely. And so coming to the first challenge, we see, um, although they are challenges that, that Mark has highlighted, I'm making this a call for us to receive the servant savior rather than be on the other side of challenging him to receive the servant savior so that, first of all, and this is looking at the first challenge, first of all, we may benefit from his authority to heal and forgive. I mean, looking in verses 1 to 12, we see these guys question Jesus' divine identity and his authority to forgive and heal sin on earth. When he heals a paralyzed man that's brought to him. I mean, the man is on the mat so to speak, you know, and his four companions and trusted friends, they trust that Jesus can heal this guy, whatever has disabled him. And he arrives paralyzed. He's lowered on a mat through the roof. Um, time will not, time would, I, I, want, I want to dwell on the, the, uh, the authority of Jesus Christ rather than go into that little detail but generally speaking houses were made differently you could easily just pluck off a bit of clay and thatch from the roof and lower this guy right in front of Jesus and Jesus seeing their faith verse 5 of our text said to the paralyzed man my child your sins are forgiven can he say that and just imagine those guys now can he say that this is where the old hands are thinking What's he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Can he say that? You hear their phones buzzing. Bzzz. No. Bloop. A priest can certify a person clean after he was healed by God. Bloop. Another message pops up. You know, he sent someone to make an offering last week. Um, and we read about that at the end of, last, of chapter 1, where Jesus sent a man who he'd healed of leprosy to go to the priest's with the offering under the law as a testimony of his healing. And they begin to think, there's a lot of things they're thinking. You can just imagine them saying, so who's telling him that he can He can start saying things that God alone, the Lord is one, as they would say in Israel, can say. In their theology, Jesus is making a pronouncement that's reserved for God. Your sins are forgiven. Cha, please. Say something else. No idea who's giving him these, these things. But 
Can you just imagine their shock at Jesus asking the question that follows? Of course, there were no phones at the time, so <laughs> it's not like Jesus hacked the network to read what they were thinking, but he, was, he immediately knew what they were thinking. And here's good reason to um, receive the servant savior because it begins to show them reason why. One, he reveals his deity. He knew immediately, verse 8 of Mark chapter 1, he knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? I mean, look at this servant savior. He's omniscient, a thing that only God possesses fully. He, he is all-knowing and he knows himself fully and everything that's actual and possible in one simple and eternal act. There's nothing he doesn't know and reveals that to them. But did they catch it? Hmm. Uh, next thing he did, he displayed omnipotence. Because he knows the thoughts of their hearts, he's asked them, why do you know, why do you question this in your hearts? But he displays his, his omnipotence, that he's all-powerful. No limits. No limits at all. And here's something to even test and prove that. As if he was asking them, is anything too hard for me? You may have heard that question before if you've read it. Um, you know, God asking Abraham or asking Sarah, is anything too hard for me? When he spoke about her at her old age having a child, is anything too hard for me? But look at the way Jesus asked that. It kind of reflects that. In verse 9, is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? That is, to heal the man spiritually. If he sinned, God could forgive him his sins, right? But here's you. Who are you? Asking, saying to him, his sins are forgiven. But he's asked the question back in reflection. Is it easier to say, to heal this man spiritually? Something that's supposed to be for God alone to do? Or is it easier to heal him physically by asking him to stand up, pick up your mat and walk? I mean, they also saw the guy coming, right? On the mat, four guys bringing him in. Take him up the roof and lower him down through the roof. So I will prove to you, again, a further revelation of his identity, of his authority, of his power. So I will prove to you, verse 10, that the Son of Man, and he goes on again, further revealing his identity. This servant savior, are you sure these guys are not making a mistake in challenging him? As the servant son of God, he reveals his identity um, and how he's appointed to rule in an eternal kingdom. Ah, time. But again, what does he do? He says, Prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he tells the man, he turns to the paralyzed man and says, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. 
talking about authority, I'm sure there's many of you here with authority and you know what that means, very simply put. You know, once you mark that paper, the child's grade is set for life. With your approval, you know, you sign off on millions of funds for things to go ahead for the public benefit. Here is Jesus exercising authority that God alone can have. So, good reason, one good reason to receive the Savior because in his authority, he can, he has the power to heal and redeem us. And it's obviously follows. The man jumped up. A man who's paralyzed jumped up. A man who came on the mat, grabbed his mat, walked through the stunned onlookers. And they were all amazed and praised God like, wow, we've never seen anything like this before. Amazing. God. Well, this has implications. Clearly, what does it say about us? What does it say about our spiritual condition? I mean, obviously, it's a picture of what we can be and what, it, what we are like. Do we need the Lord to redeem us? Do we need the Savior to help us in our helpless state? Are we able to heal ourselves and redeem ourselves? Would we do with running to the one who has all authority, no limits, to save us, to heal us? Spiritually and physically. Next application, next reason rather, to receive the servant savior. In verses 13 to 17, it is indeed um, good reason for us to receive the servant savior because it is in his will to receive us, regardless of how we are not received of others, regardless of how we are not received of others. I mean, we see Jesus here um, inviting Levi, a tax collector, to be his disciple. And, of course, he's happy to follow. He's glad to follow. He's received. These guys were usually such, were regarded as scum by the religious leaders of the day. As is there, obviously, in the text in verse 16. Why does he eat with such scum? But <laughs> Levi doesn't stop there. He goes on to invite Jesus and his disciples to dinner. Since I've been received by this Lord, since I've been received by this Savior, listen, I might as well just let my friends in on this. You know, <laughs> somebody might hear today of maybe Apple or um, some gadget provider doing some fantastic deal and like, boy, they're going to release an iPhone 12 special edition, you know, just for the first 100 people. I've got a friend who works there at Apple Store. And listen, you just have to have this and have that. And before it comes out in public knowledge and you invite your friends in to come and get in on this deal, well, Levi is doing something like that here and inviting his friends home and invite Jesus and disciples to dinner. And um, what's I mean, this is quite clear, and this is quite um, clearly what Levi is doing here. And Jesus actually means in responding to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders, those who are opposed to him, those who challenge him, 
But hey, guys, look. It's simple. Verse 17. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. In, in, in fact, <laughs> this thing, you, there's, a, there's a very practical application. And just reading through this, I was a bit kind of, is it amused or bemused? Where you hear people talking about not needing a doctor. Where you hear people talking about not needing any kind of, you know, human intervention or anything. Great if that, <laughs> I want to say great, but here's the Lord talking about healthy people not needing a doctor. They would understand that. If there was something the matter with that, well, I guess I'm getting distracted and going off on a rabbit trail here. <laughs> but the point is very simple, um, that those who are ill need a doctor. He's just recognizing that need. But in the other sense, the Lord seeks to extend forgiveness. He actually means for those who are ill to receive healing from him. So, where are we? The Lord seeks to, seeks to extend forgiveness to those who know that they are unwell. And um, I make this call particularly to anyone who considers themselves so far away from God so far removed that you probably say, and I've, I've actually heard someone, at least one person, say this to me. Like, look, my case is just beyond redemption. No, that's not, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Society is saying, religious leaders are saying here, religious guys here are saying this is beyond redemption. But no, Jesus is not saying that. Jesus is saying, those who are ill need a doctor. I've come to call those who, th I've not come to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. So we have another reason to receive the Savior, to receive this servant Savior, because it's in his, it's in his mercy to receive us. It's in his will to receive us. It's in his will to receive us into fellowship with himself and heal us as well. Another point, third reason, uh, looking at verses 18 uh, to 22. It is indeed in the Savior's plan to renew us. So not just to heal us, it's in his power to do that. It's not just in his will to also um, receive us was in his plan to renew us as well check this the religious leaders are one of probably one of these their, their traditions that they had adopted and practiced hard talking about fasting do you know amongst in Israel there was just one day one day in a year where the people were required to fast, and that was the Day of Atonement. That was the Day of Atonement. Um, and it just came around once in a year. However, what these guys were doing was basically coming to Jesus and his disciples to say, hey, look, your disciples are not fasting. 
the disciples of John are fasting, and the Pharisees are fasting as well. You might recall a Pharisee coming to the temple. Jesus made an example of this guy in Luke chapter 18 and verse 12, where he stood before God. Uh, Thank you, God. I'm not a sinner like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week. You know, I give you a tenth of my income. It's kind of like God's got to be, hmm, yeah, really impressive, you know. (laughs) But it really, the point here that Jesus is making is, look, um, in terms of, in terms of the plans of God, well, much as there may be these traditions, much as there may be these practices that um, are currently in, in, in practice right now, it is not the Lord's intention to, for, for, for his disciples to adopt such things. Indeed, look at the, look at the um, parables Jesus uses to make that point clear and, re- and emphasize it. It was not apt for those expecting the arrival of the groom, looking at verse, uh, verse 19,, talking about wedding parties, it was, it was customary that when a groom arrives, wedding party begins in Israel, and listen, the weddings were accompanied with plenty of food and drink. So, Jesus saying, do the wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. It wasn't up for those. And for any scribe or teacher worth his salt, again, in this season of change, in this season of great expectation of a Messiah's arrival, and here is the Messiah. Unfortunately, these did not know it that the Messiah had come, the groom of Israel had come. And um, Jesus has to say it's not apt for those expecting the arrival of the groom of Israel to fast now that he has come. While the bridegroom was with them, the attendants of the bridegroom, they can't fast, can they? So long as the bridegroom's with them, they cannot fast. Weddings are supposed to be a, 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 a time of joy. Fasting, in contrast, accompanied sorrow and mourning and grief. The question Jesus asked can only have one answer. No. So he uses the two parables to say the same thing. There's only loss to be suffered. And this is the, the next thing he says about that, which indicates the renewal that the Lord will give us for those who uh, receive the servant savior. He will fix the, the parable first of um, trying to use an unshrunk piece of cloth to patch an old garment. The idea be that the new the, 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 the patch would shrink and pull away at the patch and then make a bigger tear of the cloth. Essentially saying that, look, we can't try and fix 
a broken old system of rituals and external observances, which was predominant at the time. And the coming of the kingdom of God is not going to be a plaster to fix those old systems. And then again, trying to contain the new in the old, the new kingdom that Jesus coming heralds, um, the new kingdom obviously cannot thrive or grow in that structure and will only serve to just damage it and both get destroyed. The implications of this are this. I mean, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is here. The one who comes and renews us is here. Would we carry on in old practices, in old, in obeying old commandments in order to try and please God, or in order to try and live a life that pleases God, that will not, definitely not work. Well, quickly moving on for the sake of time. Um, the next challenge that, that Jesus faces is where uh, he's confronted for allowing his disciples to be fed due to the extreme, due to the extreme teaching habits or of the teaching of the on the Sabbath by the religious leaders. But for us, the benefit there or the invitation is: look, the benefit is it, it benefits us to to um, receive the servant savior because it is in his gift to give us rest. It's in his gift to give us rest. Essentially, the matter here was one of um, the, 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 Jew, the religious leaders misinterpreting or misapplying, making a poor judgment of what the disciples had actually done. I mean, whereas actually, in terms of working on the Sabbath, it would have constituted, it would have been work for the disciples if they actually took their sickles, went to those farms, went to harvest the corn and bring the sheaves in. That's work. However, the guys were walking through cornfields. They were hungry. And boy, man, just grab a few grains of corn here and snack on them. But these guys in their interpretation, they didn't want to break the law, remember. They didn't want to do anything that would just even dare go near the boundaries of the breaking the law. So the, the ex external added commentary is what they're bringing to bear on the disciples. These guys are hungry, come on, is Jesus' response. My paraphrase. <laughs> I mean, come on. David was hungry. David was on the run from Saul. Guys, come on. He was on the run from Saul. And where did he go? To the priest, Abiathar. And guess what? Abiathar gave him bread that was meant for the priests. The priests alone. So, picture this. In the, in the old temple, there would be bread that's placed before God, before the, um, before the altar of God, and the, before the altar, and when, af after it is spent and they replace that with fresh bread and take the old bread away, the priests and people who were consecrated, people who hadn't lain with their wives, people who hadn't sinned, 
could eat of these things. And guess what? David and his men in definitely, these guys were guys on the run. These were like, you know, seals on, on mission. They hadn't had a chance to even in, engage sexually with anybody. So, of course, they were okay to go and have this bread that the priests had set aside. David, Jesus makes a, 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 a comparison of that here. These guys were hungry. What's the deal? They weren't working. And it is in the Savior's, it is in the servant Savior's gift to give us rest. Who would not want to follow a boss or a Savior like this? Who wouldn't? <laughs> now, what's the um, matter here? Obviously, just going on to the fifth challenge, which is basically demonstrating all of these things, demonstrating the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Um, we go on to chapter 3 and verses 1 to 6 where they challenge Jesus about breaking the Sabbath rules for healing a man on the Sabbath. I mean, what, what really needs explaining here is, it, I was saying to Pastor Ephraim when we talked about this, I said this is a bit like a honey trap. <laughs> they, they set Jesus up to, it's, it, you would think, okay, uh, here's this guy in the, in the synagogue. And the synagogues was more or less their domain. The people in, who were interpreting the law in the synagogue were influenced by these Pharisees as well. The scribes too. And in the synagogue, everybody sat down. Imagine you're in church and somebody invites you to speak and share a word. And then there's time for exhortation. And then people are just watching and not paying I mean, you wonder, were they not paying attention to what's going on in, in, in synagogue? They're all kind of like, what's he doing now? What's he doing? Uh, is he about to heal someone? Ah, watch, 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 watch that guy. And, <laughs> and then he calls, but he knew. Remember, he's omniscient. This is the Lord who knows all things. <laughs> He knows everything, and he and um, and here calls the man. Come, stand there in front of everybody, and then he turns to his critics and asks them, "Oi, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it?" You know the funny thing? This is particularly on the Sabbath. But it's interesting that the law even makes provision and concerns itself with if you see your neighbor's oxen. Maybe like you see your neighbor's, yeah, your neighbor's oxen. Even somebody you hate too, your enemy, his oxen is fallen under his load. God required the people to show kindness and relieve that, that beast so that it doesn't die or get hurt under the load. Otherwise, you who ignored it, would be, you would be guilty of sin. And here, these guys have interpreted the Sabbath law so much so that, boy, this guy could just have been, I mean, he may, he may as well have been bleeding, bleeding out. And probably they would just leave him there. 
But here's Jesus. They knew he was going to. They thought he was going to. They knew he was going to. They watched him closely. And they asked, he asked the question, is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't even answer. He looked around at them, vexed, <laughs> and was deeply, at the same time, saddened by their hard hearts. And he said to the man, hold out your hand. But the man held out his hand, and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away, see the hardness of their heart, and met with the supporters of Herod, showing again their influence. They were politicians, not just religious leaders. They had other things. They were keen to, to be the ones in charge, running things still, and would not follow this servant savior. They wouldn't receive the servant savior, the son of God. Even though it's apparent by his authority and his power to heal, both physically, spiritually, even though it would benefit them to receive the servant savior because he, I'm looking for, <laughs> because he, I want to say this the way I've written it. <laughs> Even they will benefit them to follow, to receive this servant savior because he has authority to heal and forgive them. He has authority to redeem them. <sighs> Even though it would benefit them as well, knowing that he is the Lord and he would receive them But because of their selfish interest, they wanted to maintain status quo. They wanted to keep things in their own authority, in their own power. Something they could not hold on to. Even though they saw and, and, and recognized that it is in his plan to renew the kingdom, to restore. And bring new, and establish a new kingdom. They wanted the old things to prevail. And even though they saw that it was in his gift to give rest, but they would rather deny themselves or even deny others the rest and the, and the rest that he gives. And even though, last of all, his heart indeed reaches out to us compassionately, reaches out to us to heal like, as he did with that um, man with, in the synagogue. They would rather not receive the servant savior. Quickly, by way of application, what would you rather do? Would you rather um, challenge the savior? And not receive his, or not recognize his authority to heal. Count my situation, oh, it's beyond redemption. There's no point. I can't possibly be healed by this Savior spiritually. Nothing he can do to save me. In fact, he doesn't even have the authority, I doubt it. 
Ah. Or would you rather receive the healing that he gives? Receive the redemption that he, that he, that he has in his power? Would you rather receive the Savior and be received into his fellowship? Because indeed, he brings us to himself. And all who are lost, all who indeed are rejected. I pray, let's not be of the, of the sort who think ourselves having any benefit at all in terms of our spiritual status with the Lord. We received that fellowship freely. Let's also <laughs> encourage and invite others to, to receive the same uh, servant Savior because it, 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 it is indeed in his will to receive us. He will not in any wise turn us away who come to him for help, who come to him to find rest. He invites us to come to him. All who are weary will find rest for our souls. Um, also, in, in, in way of application, would we consider um, that indeed the Lord or this servant Savior, it is in his power and it is in, is in his plan to renew us. He's going to save us from things that held us bound practices we know okay this is not going to save we can try and stick plasters you know maybe in our own strength not really have a personal relationship with the lord in such a way that our faith and our walk with christ is in any way alive made alive by his presence made alive by being with him and rejoicing and celebrating he, he, uh, what he has done Nevertheless, it is his plan to renew us. We can't walk this walk in our strength. We can't walk it in our own ability. He renews us in everything that he does in his um, authority, being the servant son of God. Will we indeed deny ourselves the rest that he gives us? Uh, there are many ways in which we can actually put this to work. Many ways in which we, which we can actually practice this. Um, I remember, <laughs> I think I remember very early days, back in the day when we, would, when we, when we, we um, began fellowship here. And there'd be Sundays when I just look around, oh, where's this brother, where's that sister, where's this person? Boy, I don't see them in church today. Are these people serious Christians at all? But listen, the Lord indeed has, has in his gift to give us rest and indeed to bring us into rest. This is just rest um, and not just rest in the physical but rest eternal where it will not be a matter of our own effort or our own strength that keeps us going spiritually, that keeps us alive in his presence. This is all possible because the one who we serve is the son of God. The one who we serve is the one who has been given an eternal kingdom, eternal reign, eternal rule to establish indeed a new and living way in himself by which we come to God. This is Jesus Christ, 
the servant savior, the son of God. Let's, as a close, just see and receive this servant savior. Five reasons for us to do so. Um, and the blessings that come from it rather than find ourselves on the other side challenging and opposing him who has all authority given to him the son of God the servant savior Jesus Christ let's pray father thank you for this account that Mark has put together indeed showing us ways in which <clears throat> although the religious rulers of the day set in their hearts to just hold to status quo, to walk their own way, to do their own thing, to establish their own kingdom, yet the Savior ex uh, <clears throat> displays great authority, great power, great compassion. Indeed, your reveals your will to redeem us and renew us, Lord. Father, there's, there's, there's just, the choice is just so clear and glaring. And I pray it is even by your word today. For us, you need to choose to receive this Savior uh, rather than stand in opposition to him. Is there any who's hearing this word today? Um, let this come across very clear. Let this come across very, very straight. And uh, may the call be indeed responded to that these blessings indeed may be ours, may be theirs. Maybe that for all who hear and receive the Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We pray this in your name. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.